Now, the law of God is not human. It's very, very interesting, the laws of Christ and the law of God. How do we reconcile this and what difference can we make from it? We look at Psalm 119 today. The longest chapter in the Bible. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are looking at the Psalms. I have 150 favorite Psalms, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is a great time. So make sure that you join us in five minutes. We'll talk about it. Corey? I'm taking a look at houses, but cold houses. You'll see. Ryan? <laughs> All right. Well, today, like yesterday, I'm going on location to talk about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus of Israel out of Egypt, cold houses. I love it. We have a lot of material going on. They're coming up in about 20 minutes' time. Janice in 25, what's going on? God's word have I hidden in my heart. All right, very good. We are ready to go. Let's open up the Bible and look at what God has said to us, and let's read what he's talking about. Psalm 119 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud the cursed who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Psalm 119 is an amazing psalm. Chapter 119, it's the longest book in the Bible. And the Psalms is an ancient poetic hymn book for everyone who loves the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and their strength and their mind. The book of Psalms is the longest in the Old Testament with 150 chapters. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, containing 176 verses, divided into 22 stanzas of seven verses each. Now, Psalm 119 is also known to be memorized by the sons of Jewish believers for their bar mitzvah, which in Hebrew simply means son of the commandment. When a Jewish boy turns 13, he has all the rights and obligations of a Jewish adult, including the commandments of the Torah. I think this is a beautiful rite of passage because the principle of the ceremony is supposed to instill them with how to properly follow God. Psalm 119 is very important to each one of us, however, each one of us today, especially those who have chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. So keep in mind that Psalm 119 is outstanding. Now, Psalm 119 is probably the, the most uh, influential psalm in the Bible. And it's divided in such a way that the sevens or the uh, 22 stanzas start with the Hebrew letter, Alf, Beth, Gamal, and the rest of it all the way through. 
And it's important to remember that that's how it is in Hebrew. It's important to remember they did this for the reason of memorization so that they knew and understood that people would have to digest, to internalize and to meditate and to make sure they knew the Psalms. Now, many of us understand and see with the, the Jewish people that when they read the Bible, they, the Orthodox Jewish people, they move like this. But did you know why? Well, I was told by someone that the suspicion is that they believe the Bible is music. So they're going to the rhythm of the Bible. Now, isn't that fascinating? Because the Deuteronomy chapter, you know, chapter six, verses four to nine, tell us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And today I give you these commandments that you may know them in your heart. And so God understands that we have to memorize and put them in our heart. Uh, one way to say it is it's easy to memorize and to know Mary had a little lamb and all the rest of it. But how would you tell a story? What if I told you, well, there was a girl one time. She was uh, a nice girl and uh, she lived in a round place and uh, it was interesting. And, and you might say, well, that's fascinating, but I don't remember all the details of it yet. If I say Mary had a little lamb, this place was white as snow. Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. You would remember that. Isn't that interesting? God knows that. So today, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we study 119, 17 to 24, the son of commandment. Father, help us today as we study your word, as we look at it and carefully deal with how it talks to us. We're going to internalize it and we have to pay attention to what we're reading. So I pray, Lord, that you would remove the distractions, block the cell phones or whatever is necessary and help us focus on this because this next six minutes is very, very important. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Now let's move into Psalm 119. Let's go straight to verse 17. Here's what verse 17 and 18 says. It says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. That right there is powerful. Nevertheless, open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law. Okay, th this is amazing. The law of God is not human, but divine. Through Jesus Christ, we can ask forgiveness and come into fellowship with God. It's one thing to ask forgiveness. It's another thing to ask forgiveness and get it and then come into fellowship with God. That's important. What is fellowship? Fellowship is not simply friendship. But fellowship is communicating. It's when you go to church and you shake hands with your friend and, you know, he tells you that he's having trouble this week and you stop for a minute. You say, well, let's just pray about that right now. Let's access God directly. And you pray about it. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. It's not friendship. It's beyond. It's friendship plus the divine mind. That's fellowship. This is really important to pay attention to. Fellowship with God? Absolutely. All right, let's go to Psalm 119, verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, I am a stranger in the earth. Notice that. I am a stranger in the earth. 
Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. This passage reflects something very important. When dependent upon God, we are not people who belong to the earth, but to heaven. We should keep our lives in God's commandments of love. Did you know Jesus Christ has commandments of love? Paul said in the book of Philippians, he said, remember, my citizenship is in heaven. And that's where his passport is, and that's where mine is. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, that's where your passport is too, and soon we'll be there. Life is so quick. God may come back soon. And so we need to continually understand that we pay attention to our citizenship. We're not just Americans or just Canadians or just British citizens or just um, Australian citizens or whatever. We belong to Jesus Christ and we are citizens of heaven. John 14 says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid for in my father's house there are many mansions, places, and I go there to prepare a place for you that where I go, you can come too. God has made a place for us. All right, Psalm 119, 21 to 24. You rebuke the proud, Lord, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and they speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Uh, this is absolutely stunning. God is our strength. God is our shield. The Lord will be our help at all times when we follow him with our lives. Did you hear that? Your law, your word is my counselors. This is where we gain the wisdom. Some people pay a lot of money to go to school and gain wisdom. But this here, that's how we gain the wisdom of God. These thousand pages, 66 books written by 40 authors, over 1,500 years at all with the same theme, praise God. This is the amazing word of God, the Bible. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your iPad. You can get it. It's easy to get the most published book, most translated in all the languages you can possibly imagine, thanks to Wycliffe translators. It's amazing. And beloved, we need to pay attention to this because this is what they say. God is our strength and our shield. We need to understand it's the word of God, that this is his words. And we need to read it. We need to pay attention to it. Take us a while to understand it. But as we read it, we are seeking the wisdom and the ability and the strength of God. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. Welcome back to the program. 
Today, my segment is a continuation from yesterday in which we talked about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. And one of the problems that some people have with believing that the exodus was a real event is the number of people involved. Because the Bible seems to put that number at about 2 to 3 million people total, which is a lot. But some scholars believe that there's a mistranslation of the Hebrew text here and that there were only about 30,000 people in total. And I talked about that view at length on yesterday's program. But today I want to look at another possibility here, which is that there were indeed 2 to 3 million people involved. And many Bible scholars see no real issues with such a large group of people. Take a look. Hey guys, it's Ryan Hembry here, and in this video, I'm going to be continuing my investigation into the Exodus story. You know, a lot of people doubt the Exodus event because of how many Israelites were involved. And in the first part, I documented one way that scholars overcome this problem. But in this video, I want to present another possibility. So let's go. Okay, so as I mentioned, one of the main issues that people have with the Exodus story is the sheer number of people involved. And according to Exodus 12.37, there were about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. But if we include the children, the women, and the infirm, then the number would be more like 2 to 3 million people. And that figure seems to pose insurmountable challenges. Maybe the biggest challenge of all is how Israel's population could have gone from just 12 patriarchs to 2 to 3 million in only a few hundred years. It's also fair to ask how millions of people could have crossed a narrow channel through the sea, and how the food and water requirements could have possibly been met. And another issue is that the Minerpta Stella seems to suggest that Israel was small compared to some of the other nations. But if Israel numbered between 2 to 3 million, then they would have been the most populous nation on earth. Now, as I documented in part one, some scholars overcome these issues by arguing that the number 600,000 is actually a mistranslation of the Hebrew word elif. And I talked about that at length in that video, so I won't repeat it here. But suffice it to say, they make the biblical case that the Israelite population was more like 30,000 people total, not 2 to 3 million. But many scholars believe that reinterpreting this passage in this way is unnecessary and, in the end, creates more problems than it solves. Why? Well, because many other biblical passages seem to confirm this larger population. One of these is Exodus 38, where God collects half a shekel from every man 20 years old and up. Based on the sum of money collected, there were 603,550 men, which agrees with the traditional translation of Exodus 12 and puts the total population back at 2 to 3 million. Okay, but if this is the case, then how do these scholars solve the number problem? Well, actually, they believe that there are no real problems. For instance, regarding Israel's incredible population growth, while it might seem impossible that 2 to 3 million people could come from 12 patriarchs in only a few hundred years, scientific studies in human population growth have demonstrated that it is very possible, especially if the males had more than one wife. They also point out that there are modern examples of massive groups of people fitting into small spaces. So millions of Israelites passing over a dry path through the sea isn't a problem, especially when God is your rear guard. Food and water are also a non-issue when you consider that God was their sustainer. And based upon the writings of Herodotus, Theocritus, Josephus, and others, some have challenged the idea that ancient populations were small and therefore that Israel must also be small. While it is true that there's no consensus among scholars on this issue, the good news is that the problem isn't with the Bible, only our understanding of it. 
As one author puts it, the number of Elis recorded in the Bible that departed from Egypt is without error and infallible. The issue is not with the Bible. The issue is determining what the original Hebrew text means and translating those figures into English in a way that most accurately reflects the original meaning. So as I mentioned at the end of the segment there, it's important to understand that the problem isn't with the Bible. There is no issue or contradiction with it at all, but the problem is with our limited understanding of the text. But still, we've seen how this numbers issue really isn't an issue at all, whether 30,000 or two to three million. But you know, if you wanna continue this discussion, then you can head on over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry, because there I've posted the full version of this video which also deals with two other questions surrounding the Exodus event, including where the Israelites crossed and if the splitting of the sea really happened. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, I was asking in between the segments there uh, what, what you thought and all of that and what I thought. I was trained in the higher number and I've always thought the higher number, but you said the argument for both numbers is good. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, that's really interesting, really interesting. Okay, Corey. All right, I know that we're in Psalm 119, but uh, I want to talk about, because I'm, I'm taking a break, we're in the Psalm, so I'm kind of jumping around and looking at different uh, things archaeologically and culturally that I find interesting. And when we get into Proverbs, you are going to notice that Solomon talks about uh, having ice, an ice-cooled drink in the middle of summer, which is very strange because how would you get ice in the middle of the Middle East? in the middle of summer, in the middle of the hot season. Uh, but it turns out there's a pretty logical explanation for this, though it probably wouldn't have been widely available in Israel. It would have been known about. Let's take a look at the ancient ice house. In an age before electricity and in a warm climate like the Near East, ancient people still found a way to keep their buildings cool and their food and drinks frosted. Utilizing their natural environment, a combination of the Earth's underground temperature, shade, water, nighttime temperatures, wind, and human construction were combined by the ancients to create ice houses. There are examples still standing in modern-day Iran representing ancient Persia. There are remains of 7th century BC ice houses in China, and the oldest reference found thus far goes to ancient Mesopotamia a record dating to 1,780 BC, belonging to the once and now famous King Zimri Lim of Mari, reports his commissioning of a new ice house to keep ice from the nearby mountains. By studying the younger examples from Iran, a lot can be learned about storing and making ice in a hot climate. For cold storage, insulation is key, so the ice houses, also called ice pits, would be dug deep into the earth where the temperatures are naturally cooler, and a plaster lining would be added. Next, a large, high, thick dome would be built over top with air vents to allow the exit of warm air. Sometimes a high wall would be built to help shade the dome, and underwater aqueducts could also be incorporated to vent cooler, water-bearing air up into the ice house. These underwater channels would also feed a shallow pool that could be built by the ice house to make ice in the cold nights of winter. When used, these shallow pools would be shaded by a large wall, fed with cooler underground water, and would freeze naturally overnight in the winter to be harvested in chunks and brought into the ice house for storage. 
Wind-catching towers could also be used to help naturally circulate the air. In Iran, these towers and ventilation systems are widely known and were incorporated into homes, palaces, and public buildings. Essentially, they catch the wind, allowing it to blow into buildings, and then a system of secondary vents pulls the hot air out. In ice house designs, these towers were utilized to help mitigate those hot summer temperatures. Understandably, ice houses probably held a lot more than ice and snow. As we do today, refrigeration is an effective method of food preservation and was more than likely another use for the ancient ice house. And though the oldest record of an ice house was commissioned by a king, from examples in modern Iran, it's possible that these could also have been constructed for public use. While there are no existent examples of ice house remains from ancient Israel that I am aware of, Proverbs 25 likely references the practice. It says, Like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. There we go. Some fun ancient technology for you today. Yes. Very interesting. Now you are doing a special on the 16th of June. Yes. Tell us about it. Okay. So normally my husband and I, every weekend we release Bible Discoveries, the weekend show where we, you know, we're going through the Bible this year. So we discuss questions that pop up as we go through the Bible, but we wanted to do something fun. And so on Friday, June 16th, we've invited the cast to come with us, but to, to go live on our YouTube channel at 3.30 Eastern time. All of the cast of Bible Discovery is gonna be going live here from our studio, and we're gonna be taking your questions. I'm gonna have some discussion questions for us to kind of talk about, but also if you wanna join in the chat, you can ask your questions and interact with us live as well. So that's gonna that be, all. that's what that is. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'll tell you. I think it'll be fun. I think okay. it'll be a good time. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> All right. So Psalm 119, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But I did want to start here because I want to encourage you, if you are a young person watching this program, I'm so encouraged by you. I am so encouraged that you are pursuing knowing the word of God and not just knowing it and reading it but applying it into your heart, into your thinking. The psalmist who wrote this said, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. He's talking to God. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is so important. And you know, I look back on my own childhood. I went to church. I learned Bible verses. I, I, I learned the Bible stories, but I didn't personally really take responsibility in reading the Bible in, in its entirety. And, and I, it wasn't really until I was about 32 years of age 
where it really hit me, Rod, and you know my testimony in that area, where when your dad was still alive and, and we were working together on the program, that he came up with the idea of the scripture being read out loud on the air. And I kind of thought that was a, a, a kind of a silly idea because people could just pick it up and read it themselves, couldn't they? And yet it began me on a, on a brand new journey, something that I hadn't done as a follower of the Lord. And so if you, if you have never done that and you've joined our program, I am so thrilled because what an adventure you have ahead of you. The word of God is so wonderful and, and it really helps us to learn and to know who God is. And, and just like the psalmist says here, this is the way that we can learn. This is the way that we can grow, that we can be grounded and have this solid foundation from the word of God that's in our hearts so that when we experience things in life, we have a direction. We know who we can go to, to, to ask the way that we should go. And that is so important as a young person, especially in the world that we live in today. Can I encourage you? And I know there's a young man that he goes to our church and his name is Joshua. And Joshua, I want to encourage you today to keep in the word of God and he will reward you for that. And Addie, you just talked to me a couple of weekends ago and you have, have, have joined the program. You've been picking up your Bible and you've been reading it. I want to encourage you today and all of, all of you. I don't, I might not know you. I might not know your name, but I'll tell you who does. God does. And I know that he is so very pleased that you have chosen, that you have chosen to pick up his word and read it. And he will reward you for that. It is more important than brushing your teeth, having a shower. Those things are important. It keeps our bodies healthy. But your spirit, your spiritual side of you will be so healthy when you put this word of God in your heart and you begin to live it out in your life. And you will be a testimony and a light to those around you. So let me encourage you today. I know I've been talking about this a lot, but I'm very excited about it. I watched it today and there are several programs on our channel at BD Family and Friends. BD Family and Friends. Look for it or go to Bible Discovery TV and you can watch it a linear channel or you can get it on the Roku box or you can get it on Stream TV or you can get it on Firestick Television because it is available there. It's very important. We have all kinds of great programs on there. You're going to want to see them because they're good. So make sure to get in to do that. That's with your television or your computer. Either way, it's our channel. We present it. Now, today we pray, Lord, I, I need to spend time with you every day with prayer and reading your word. Help me to do that. 